All right, so on today's episode, one of the things I'd like to discuss about is kind of almost, I just ended my, basically my tenure working uh, for the band as the economic development officer. And after two years of working for the Kitagon ZB band as the ECDEV officer, I don't mean to criticize, this is a little more of a negative direction but one of the things I have to say is bands aren't perfect. And a lot of people have this misconception when it comes to bands that they're perfect or they're the supreme moral authority with uh, chiefs and, you know, everything works in the best interests of the people. And that's not always the case and. Again, you know, it's like any political system. There's corruption, there's problems with it, there's tensions. But after two years, I gained a lot of insight within the community as the economic development officer and as well as um, I worked previously as a pre-employment caseworker, which was pretty much a social worker, um, except without the pay. And of a social worker and the responsibility or authority. And after five years, understanding the internal politics and uh, just witnessing it at a different level, uh, especially the job was extremely political. One of the things I'd like to get into in today is, for example, my mother community of Kitagon Zibi and maybe other reserves work like this and you know there's a lot of different reserves I've experienced where there's a lot of difference in the way it's set up socio-politically and different agendas but for example Kitagon Zibi where I'm from it's very difficult for the government to advance although it's a, f- a fairly nice community uh, there's a higher standard of living there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities here that you wouldn't get in other places. For example, just speaking on the ECDEV program, there's a lot of loans and grants that help entrepreneurs. So there's credit where credit's due. But there's a lot of challenges that come with that and that come with that. And uh, again, this is not to say that all reserves are the same, but within my community, it's it's very much a, again, it's run, essentially, this is where it gets complicated with Kitagon ZB's structure, is it's essentially an oligarchy. And although there's a chief and council that see the day-to-day, it's essentially run by four oligarchs. I won't say any names and this is not about that but it's just understanding the structure of um, the more developed communities and communities that are that are more developed and have a different asset class so one of the things i'd like to get into for example is kitagon zb's oligarchy system so it's spread out amongst three different um basically band members who run the community. So one of the one of the oligarchs are well I like to refer to them as oligarchs. 
is um, he was a chief for almost 50 years, always ran in the background, even when not in power. And he always seems to come back or leverage his way into the band. But the thing about him is his asset category is ridiculous. I'm not going to fully go into that uh, other than the things I can't prove. But having worked alongside him and had to work alongside him when he was community services director, this guy had a very... He was very intelligent and he was very bright, but he was also very clandestine and very seedy in the way he did business. And in a lot of ways, he was a lot more fair than another community service director. But he was one of he was one of the people he created himself a massive asset class through real estate investment through business investment um you know again uh through investing through basically embezzling band funds and because kitagon zb set up where it has this financial uh agreement where they can withhold surpluses with the grants and contributions from the government and they basically don't have to report on them and the surpluses have no accountability of where they go and nobody really knows and so that leaves for a lot of embezzlement and a lot of redirection of these revenues and funds to go to other places so anyway this oligarch basically built himself an empire on this and has always managed to stay in power um, to the point where he invested in these assets, started a company under, he had a whole double life and he had a secret wife and a secret son from the community. And this was, um, uh, kept secret for over 30 years. And with this wife, he, uh, he had a wife here in the community, but essentially after his native wife passed away. He moved in his mistress and a lot of the things started to show with, for example, his, yeah, his secret life. So it turned out that he had invested in this construction company with the son he had with his mistress and put it under his name. And they had bought things like, you know, different construction equipment, like loaders, trucks, uh, ex excavators, you know, transport trucks, various vehicles, just massive amounts of capital assets. And having researched the database, the name of this company, one of the things with him is he, the company was dissolved to avoid auditing. So he didn't comply with the tax laws so his numbered company was dissolved but there's a bit of a gray area on reserve so the company was dissolved in 2019 this is public record and he moved it on reserve kept the same name of the company and now he has exclusive bids on housing projects and different construction projects within the community
and that's this former chief, I'll call him the chief because he is essentially still in control. Everybody under him is basically a puppet. So anyway, this chief, his son has the business. So now he has all the um, projects. And for example, there's a lot of questions on even, for example, we had a cannabis referendum with the legalization of cannabis. One of the things is that was his interest was wanting to get into the cannabis business. So there's a lot of hearsay, but I'm staying within what's concrete. And, you know, again, but, you know, the first layer is the oligarchy. Um, There's another one who owns the food and gas. And although he's more fair and, and... yeah, yeah, food, gas, and loans. Although not part of the band, it's just, you know, he's a central focal point for power. There's another one who runs the water, but he also runs procurement for the Algonquin Nation. Uh, and then there's another, and then there's another one who is a lawyer. And... He's a, he's a lawyer and supposedly brought in for prosecution in town. He's a counselor on the band. And he's also the accountant for the reserve for a lot of people's taxes. Uh, a lot of people are very dependent on the family allowance, especially, well, families that make up the community. Um, very dependent on that. And he also does a lot of free legal advice. He also owns a storage uh, company which is uh, is fairly straightforward in that but it, it leads to a lot of power uh, struggles for example him being a counselor during this time as the ECDEV officer actually I was an ECDEV officer at that point I was hired as a consultant to distribute uh, COVID funding from the government to help businesses on reserve and I managed to stop him with a, a, he kept trying to get involved and manipulate the COVID funds to see who's getting what and what the decisions were early on. I managed to stop it by saying there was an impartiality problem and had to request to ban that there was a conflict of interest there. But anyway, what I la- that later came back to haunt me. So... I'll get to that in a second. This, yeah, this this guy who's a a lawyer, accountant, and entrepreneur, and council member, for example, is slowly becoming one of the more powerful uh, players in Kitagon CB. So he hires a lot of people on reserve and hires a lot of specialists and also just helps a lot of people. So he has a lot of power in the community on top of knowing pretty much everything about people legally so that's some of the things you have to contend with if you're working on reserve um just kind of coming to my tensions with him is later on he had the community services director had retired it was the former chief the head oligarch as i call him um, his wife died and then he decided 
to retire. So that was all completely questionable where the secret his secret life started coming out. But there was a empty community services director, which in the order of hierarchy, there's in Kitagon Zibi, there's there's the oligarchs, the four oligarchs, and then there's the then there's the chief in council, and then after there's the community services director. So one of the things is the community services director was empty. And during that time, this was the summer of 2021, around July. She had, anyway, there was an empty, it was empty and it was posted in the community flyer. That's where you find out where job postings are in a lot of native communities and especially in Kitagon Zibi. So one of the things that we, so one of the things I noticed, I had had interest in it as well, but I had realized the salary was really low. It was at twenty one sixty an hour. At the same time, they had hired a dog catcher, and the dog catcher was making $20 an hour. So one of the most powerful positions in the community on paper was only making $21.60 an hour. For those of you who speak corruption or speak or are very familiar with working with bands that aren't that don't follow the books or have an agenda at play that's usually when there's somebody pre-selected for the interview process so here enters our current community services director um because i had made friends with this one uh yeah, this one council member who had all this power. Um, she was a close friend, her and her husband. She enters in the previous uh, community services director, retires. He spent a little bit of time training her. Anyway, she comes in. I'm requesting to go to conferences and get... Um, just more training and suddenly my thing my requests aren't being approved or they're under a little more scrutiny than they should and then she's going into reports or and suddenly I'm getting blocked out of a lot of things and there's a lot of backroom meetings and BCRs band council resolutions made based on my programming um, not to my knowledge and yeah, so I did a little bit of digging around. Uh, I knew a lot of the people who do the interviews for the band jobs. It's generally always the same four people who do the interviews for onboarding. And again, this uh, this lady who became who's the community services director, because she was close friends with this one counselor. Um, so her job was put at twenty-one sixty an hour. She was back on reserve. Her and, yeah, her and her husband were the best friends with this one counselor. She gets a job, and I found out from the interviews she interviewers she didn't pass the interview. And I had multiple sources to prove this. She didn't pass the interview. 
uh, yeah, twice. She didn't pass the written and oral. And then I found out later that she was paid $60 an hour. But this is undeclared because, again, with the confidentiality agreements on reserve, you can't, uh, yeah, you can't uh, disclose that information. So one of the things uh, going on with this is she, this, anyway, this is not to victimize myself, but because I was in the crosshairs of this one counselor and she was pretty much a puppet for this one counselor's interest, this one counselor kept getting, he wanted rush service on all these grants that we had. And he was constantly requesting them. Uh, there was one which is a marketing and professional services grant where suddenly they would pass right away where there was people waiting months for the same grant. He had, there was also a 10% contribution of funds uh, in the policy. So the band council had fought it because it, it was only supposed to be for the loans, but it was worded. So eventually they caved and it was 10% of the overall project's cost. So she so she managed to push a lot of this stuff and it was always his stuff that took priority. Um, she also tried to have me fired. I had a bit of a personal crisis and this is probably something I'll talk about in the future. And took advantage of the fact that I was going through this thing I was taking a lot of my time there was a lot of these false deadlines that were unprofessional where oh you have till two o'clock and we were working from lockdown so I had to go I could only go into the office at night to do paperwork so suddenly she was ridiculing me you're saying oh your hours were nine to five when the entire year before she had got there I would go in at night during the COVID lockdown to requisition checks and to print and scan things uh, that I worked during the day so I you know I had to rotate the schedule anyway she would be using that and ridiculing me um, and that way trying to get me fired it didn't work um, it eventually ended with me at the end of August. She kept uh, rewriting my BCRs to undermine me. I ended up sending her the file. That was a Word file for her to sign off on. She rewrote it and said there was all kind of problems and kept rewriting it and saying. And she wouldn't give me also... For a while, too, we lost our clerk for resolution numbers, so... For things to get passed, they require a band council resolution. And what the, what would happen is they, uh, there was a clerk that's in charge of giving the BCR numbers. You send them an email, they send you the BCR. So say you have one or two, you would write them up for the band council meetings. So she wouldn't give me the BCR numbers. But what would happen is she would have it noted. I would, ha I would send in the BCRs without the numbers. And uh, she would always have it noted that I never put BCR numbers when I requested them from her. So there was always this like weird, you no know, weird games to get me out. And that, that's the usual lateral violence, garbage of the working on reserve. 
And especially when there's a, especially this is the games is if they don't want you in there, they'll make sure you don't get in there. For example, the entire time I worked as economic development officer, I had zero signing authority. And one of the things that is very, is I never had to write reports. It was always the community services director that wrote the reports. And again, this goes with the grants and contributions um, that the community has is they don't, cause they don't have, they report, but, uh, they don't report what happens with the surpluses of funding. So I was never allowed to know. And I tried for the entire time to find out what my contribution agreement was from the government. And I just got stonewalled everywhere at every level of government. Even they wouldn't disclose. They would tell me I actually, at one point I actually had to record my conversations whenever I'd meet with chief and council members, as well as this community services director, I have them recorded saying, Oh, you don't need to know that. Yeah. And uh, they kept saying, Oh, that's uh, not for you. Your number is your code number is one Oh two five zero. And the only thing you need to know is that you make that your budget is 250,000. Um, but again, here's another funny anecdote to the story with me being um, ECDEV officer is my mother had suffered a very severe fate in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, being the ECDEV director. I'm not going to go too much into her story, but she ended up getting railroaded by the same chief after starting a state-of-the-art um, maple syrup operation, uh, which ended up kind of becoming a victim of it, the community's corruption. And one of the things that ended up happening with her is she became blacklisted in the native world in the 2000s where she couldn't get jobs anywhere but going back with um this is my mother's budget in 2000 was 400,000 and just adjusting through time with federal grants and contributions to native communities. Usually the money goes up uh, if it doesn't stay the same, as well as there's also costs to account for the service delivery, uh, for example, the funding. So a lot of the things is, you know, they would stall me on my GLV printouts to figure out how much did I spend on my program and how much I was paid. Uh, I only got one GLV printout through my entire time there, um, which was the who's the current chief who worked in my position before. He got the, he would make about $200 more than I did a week in t on payroll. Uh, and then I was moved down and I was told I was paid more. It wasn't a substantial amount of money. Uh, it only amounted to being 43000 a year. Um, the national average is sixty five to 80000 for an economic development officer. And yeah, anyway, so there was always these... There was always these funds. I just took it because it beat being on CERB. But going back, though, is... 
I tried for two years to find out what my budget was and they wouldn't allow me to do my reporting. I would ask questions with the reports. I need to know a budget in case they would tell me, oh, that doesn't concern you. Uh, you're just here to collect the paperwork. But anyway, the title seemed more than that. So it was always very seedy. And I just stuck it out now uh, for the rest of the pandemic for my son who enjoys being on reserve. Now I've returned to being an entrepreneur. But going back, and I prefer taking time now where my time's appreciated and my skill sets are appreciated. But going back is with this stuff is on reserve is again not all reserves are like this but within the, this is just my story from the community and you know again it's returning to this is after two years of this uh, and a lot of deals that were done for example for favors for people who were close friends with the chief or the chief trying to shut somebody up it was all it was always these and then the people going through the proper channels and the proper protocols of the programs were always put at the back of the list and there was always just this dishonesty and yeah and the thing i didn't like about working on reserve is they always leveraged the fact that yeah people who want to live on reserve you have to make less you have to make less than what you're worth and you have to put up with their garbage or else if you, for example, I have friends who've built houses recently and they have to put up with this garbage in terms of from the band, it's you comply with everything or you find somewhere else to live. And a lot of people want to live here because of having the cultural connection and being close to family. So that's the power games that a lot of bands play and but returning to this community services director her being a puppet for this one counselor it was always this constant cycle of overriding me and i i had been overridden so many times by the council by this one community services director and just to speak volumes about her character there was a lot of alleged talk of her drug use and her husband's drug use. And it's very evident that her husband is a drug addict. And the, even at one point with the COVID fund distribution, we got a second round of it. Her husband just requested a couple thousand, which complicated things because she was no longer impartial. So she had to be removed off the project because I had to follow the proper channels. So that made things worse but the thing with her is with her character is her son she had a youngest son she has a youngest son who got caught in the city and that's why they ended up moving back she had worked for years in the city for this other nonprofit company and her son got caught with uh, drug trafficking and they had to move back on reserve with the drug trafficking charges. Usually that means somebody on reserve got involved um, through either these weird things like the social court or restorative justice processes. 
um, for it to go away, but she was evicted uh, from her place in the city and her family was a, completely uprooted working in the city. So that's how she ended up here till even just this past summer in May and it was well publicized. Uh, and there's still an ongoing investigation of this. Her son had a hand in a murder of a kid in one of the towns by Gatineau, which is called Aylmer. Um, yeah, where this kid unfortunately got stabbed and her son had a hand in it. And, but, you know, you see him suddenly, he's getting all these jobs on reserve, you know, in the, in the band office, um, you know, and her husband's getting all these jobs too. So it's, so again, I'm not saying again, all reserves, but this is the game when there's a corrupt agenda at play. And yeah, that's just my story after working a while. There's a lot more to it than this, but I just wanted to jump into a little bit of this. But again, and this was another thing where the same community services director who was in cahoots with the mother of this other supposed uh, entrepreneur who defrauded massive amounts of money from the ban through a fake cleaning business. He, uh, he used the money from the government and a loan from the band, which he defaulted on to build himself a house. And he never completed the project. Didn't follow any, uh, didn't follow any sort of uh, his project completion to the point of, anyway, his whole rationale, and I, even I have this recorded, is... He had requested more money from the band and for serve, uh, serving and finishing his project. It was, again, it was always covered up. He was hired as a janitor, but they put it in his company's name because you don't have to register a company on reserve because of taxation issues. So he defrauded, he defrauded this, yeah. I, I blew the whistle and had written a note on it with the council. Again, I was overridden by the chief and by the community services director to the point where, yeah, they ended up giving him. He had also requested COVID funds as well. And that's where I drew the issue is, well, he has a non-operating business, and non-operating asset, and he's it's very open that he's been a, defrauded for example he was excluded from the housing list on the council records because he took the money that was meant for his business and building his building his office space and his operation space to build himself a house and yeah he ended up uh yeah he ended up um defrauding all this and because uh, his mother was in cahoots with some of the band council members and um, the, yeah, the chief wanted to keep her quiet and God knows what. They ended up, um, he ended up getting 5000 out of the uh, COVID funds plus another 6000 out of the um, 10% grant contribution 
for the business. So he ended up getting 11,000 for his poor behavior and his entire rationale, why his business. And I, and I had never seen his receipts. I was just told by this community services director. All I got was an Excel spreadsheet with the prices on things. I never got the receipts on that because our program requires receipts. Well, the program, when I worked for it, required receipts. I never received the receipts. Just, yeah, a Excel spreadsheet on the costs of things. And yeah, his whole rationale is because he lost a charger for his laptop that he could not produce the receipts and the reporting required from the government and from the band on the project completion but it's still i said so they were able to and then his account was in arrears which was a whole mess as well so somehow they coughed up five grand to put it back to normal to fix everything as well and it was just a whole mess that I, i'm kind of patching things through but they couldn't afford a 40 dollar laptop charger to to finished a reporting and to do things the actual right way. So, you know, there's an issue to that too, is nobody really cares about your excuses uh, unless they're factual, but it's always stuff like this when it comes with working with my community is there's always weird things like that, that involve the council. And that's something I caution to anybody working with Kitagon ZB, for example, because one of the biggest issues is the reporting of funds. They they have this environmental agenda on logging, uh, but for example, there's a dam, there's a run of the river dam that they're pushing through clandestinely with, with Hydro Quebec. None of the community members are consulted on it. They just have the old chief negotiating all the terms and conditions, and I personally think well, we're not going to get. Uh, you know, I suspect somebody got paid off. You know, again, it's always these secret meetings with the government, the oligarchs, and the chief and council, and nobody's ever told. And it's supposed to be disclosed at band meetings, but they never are. Uh, for example, I only found out a month after... Um, I only found out a month after this decision was made that they did an interest rate hike on the loans on economic development and housing. It was at 2.95% and they moved it up to 3.95 uh, without zero justification, let alone letting the parties at hand know. And, uh, and that's a big change, especially for people who don't have a lot of financial means or people who are over leveraged in terms of with the banks. Uh, that's a whole other issue I could talk about on reserve. But again, the, it's always the secrecy behind closed doors when it comes to well-developed bands. And, you know, again, a lot of people who, again, the bulk of the, the Kitagon Zibis population who live on reserve are not very well-educated, not very well-versed in financial literacy. So there's always these things going on behind we have a lot of educated people but they're never hired by the reserve uh and if they are they're never paid adequately 
to their skill set. So we end up losing them to the cities like Ottawa to the government. And once they buy houses, they're gone. So that leaves the least educated part of the population. And, you know, again, and the, this is the sad part is you see a lot of positions where the band does a lot of these. If you, one of the games that's played with the band, and I experienced some of this personally as well, is anything for a band service that during one of the things that I had to deal with was it wasn't so bad stuff that had to get paid. But uh, for example, with the daycare on reserve, they would, if you weren't in good favor, uh, they would use the finance department of the community to compound your services and they would compound the price of services and they would time it. So around the times of the month that bills had to be paid, they would always uh, slap those on. So it would be deduced off your pay. And the biggest excuse was COVID. So they would deduct, for example, at my daycare, they would let it go into arrear for about, uh, you know, two months. And then they would just suddenly charge it and you're not paying attention to it. So I was, I was always aware of this. So I was always saving money and I was, I'm never dependent on one income source. And, but that's what the situation a lot of people are because they even deduct welfare on people if they have an arrear or certain people. So if these people become dissident against the band's agenda or they start critiquing a lot of things with the band, especially if they rent a house on reserve, the band housing, or the, if they've built a house and they've applied for a housing loan, they'll, they'll manipulate things with their bills or payments will get lost, but they'll deduce, they'll deduct, sorry, uh, 30% of the welfare checks, uh, especially for, yeah, people who are hardly getting by, they'll deduct it just to get the money back. And uh, they never give a proper rationalization even for the rent deductions as well. So they yeah, so there's some people who are unfairly charged for band housing and then they go by uh, the percentage of their income, but they'll never update it if the person leaves the job or becomes unemployed. So they really hurt a lot of the poorer class and they also hurt the people from coming back, the most educated people, the competent people from actually running the government here. Um, and it's, it's all in the self-interest of these oligarchs that operate on reserve and yeah, that's, that's the case of that. But one of the things with the cautionary tale, I would talk about this is the band isn't your friend and for anybody working for a band is always have alternate, um, always have alternate sources of income, have a business, have a side hustle, invest in real estate always invest money, have a, have a cushion, because if you lose one income, you're not completely dependent on it because a place like Kitagon ZB depends on being the person's sole revenue source. Uh, and that's the thing that's very detrimental to anybody. And that's why I say, if you are living on reserve, even if your band is good and it has more of a moral and social conscience towards its 
population. You shouldn't become dependent because it's always one step away. It, it could be always this hidden corruption. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the things why one income is dangerous, even off reserve. On one income could be very dangerous if it's your only job. So you should always rely on having multiple income sources. We like to talk like this is such a new thing, but in the modern climate, the whole working for a job for till retirement, although in my generation is becoming less and less of a reality. And I've witnessed people like my father lose who he's worked for 40 years for a, a, um, a food distribution company and I've just seen him lose the benefits of working there uh, more and more each year so one of the things is it's always having those because even just back in old times where we all had homesteads in North America but even just uh, the natives uh, even on reserve here like my grandparents generation they always worked little had all little side hustles on the side my grandmother used to cut hair. Um, my grandfather would shoe horses as a side income. They would trade things. They would relay snowshoes. So all of these were extra small incomes. Even some people used to babysit children if they needed extra money. So, and, you know, in, in the farm, even the farm homesteading days, people had, uh, people would, you know, sell their horses, breed their animals. It was all to a different uh, goal. Anyway, I'd like to leave it with that. And I hope you enjoyed the show, but this is like some more of the real. It was a little bit of a negative outlook there on the reserve, but I just wanted people to know that, again, I'm not an example. I could be a cautionary tale in this case. By no means am I victimized here. But one of the things is, had I not set myself up or prepared myself starting off going back into the band two years ago, I had already this previous knowledge of what happened to my mother and also what happened to my family as well, which is another crazy story. So I went into the band being prepared to leave the band and I had goals that I wanted to do while I was working for the band, like buying my first rental property and you know, using that stable source of income to finance it. So that's one of the things I'd, uh, I had goals going in and I had goals prepared to leave and I also had alternate revenue sources. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed it and take care. This is my uh, podcast and I'm uh, hoping to make more episodes. I'm going to try and make this a weekly thing and yeah, see how it develops. Mm-hmm.